Hello and welcome to Rural Business Uncovered, brought to you by the CLA, where each week we discuss matters affecting the rural sector. The Country Land and Business Association are the only organisation dedicated to protecting and defending the rights of landowners and rural businesses. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. As we embark on agricultural transition in terms of UK agriculture post-Brexit, many rural businesses are already considering how to improve their efficiency and sustainability. For many, this will take shape in the form of agricultural technology or agritech. Simply put, this is the application of technology to make the farming process more efficient from on-farm solutions to the food supply chain itself. Today, we're fortunate to be joined by three guests, all involved with varying aspects of agritech, with whom we'll look to discuss what these changes have helped to achieve for their businesses and organizations. And those three guests are Claire Hodge, Head of Crops Agri Epicenter, Jake Freestone, Farm Manager at Overbury Enterprises in Gloucestershire, and Adam Slate, Orchard Innovation Manager at Barnsley, England. Welcome to, to all three of our guests. Great to have you on the podcast. And uh, for the benefit of our listeners, perhaps it would be useful if you could each introduce yourselves, uh, saying a little bit about your background and your role. Um, if I can start with you, Claire. Hi, Ad. Thank you for uh, having me along today. It's a delight to talk to you. Um, I am uh, new to AgriEpi as Head of Crops, and this is a new role which is to link our satellite farm network in enabling technological innovation and digital transformation in agriculture. So it's a lot to take on board, but the exciting bit is about connecting our farms to the technology that we have available to the industry. Um, a little bit about my background is I studied agriculture at Newcastle University, and imagined I'd go back to work on the family dairy farm and uh, was enticed by the local potato packing site and then never left. 15 years later, I still work <laughs> in potatoes. And uh, I most recently just finished a um, Nuffield scholarship uh, in potato production around the world. So um, it's an exciting place to be at the moment in AgriEpi and looking at how we connect all these things up and supporting especially our um, satellite farmers in embracing this technology. Uh, and we're lucky to be joined by, by two satellite farmers on this podcast in, in Jake and Adam. Uh, Adam, I'll just come to you in a minute. But, but Jake, to start off with, uh, tell us a bit about your role with Overbury Enterprises and, and, a, and a bit about your background. Ali, thank you very much. And uh, absolute pleasure to be uh, invited along to, uh, to talk through this podcast today. So um, I manage the farming part of Overbury Enterprises. Uh, it's, it's a mixed farm on the Gloucestershire-Worcestershire border. Varying soil types from a thousand feet above sea level on very thin Cotswold brash with lumps of limestone in it, down to sand over gravel and then Evesham series clay um, in the sort of the Vale of Evesham at about a hundred foot above sea level. So, so quite mixed, quite a diverse business, growing lots of combinable crops. We let a little bit of land out for vegetable production, um, and we've got a livestock enterprise as well of uh, just over a thousand ewes. 
uh, outdoor lambing and then going on to uh, rotational grazing scenarios over uh, grade two listed parkland and um, uh, some sort of grass lays, uh, legume rich species lays. And um, yeah, got a stewardship application, which is just, uh, we're just trying to finalize that now. So it's a really mixed business. It's a very exciting business. It's a very innovative business. And uh, the, the managing partner, Penelope, who owns the estate, is uh, is really keen on tech, agri-tech. Um, we, we installed our own fibre network here a few years ago. So uh, we like to be at the cutting edge of, uh, of new innovation. And, and agri-tech really, uh, really ticks our ticks our boxes. Oh, that's brilliant, Jake. And uh, it's such a diverse business that you've uh, described there. And I'm sure there's never a dull moment uh, at, at Overbury. That, that's really good to hear. And we'll, we'll dive into a bit of the agri-tech that you've used on the farm in just a minute. But Adam, um, please give an introduction to yourself and, and a bit about your role. Hi. Hi, everyone. Yeah, great to be here. Great to be talking about uh, ag tech on a, a great podcast. Um, so I uh, am, as I said, uh, Orchard Innovation Manager at uh, Barsley Farms. We're based in Kent, uh, about 800 hectares of top fruit, mostly apples and pears, but we also have cherries, uh, plums, we have some strawberries. And uh, Barsley has invested heavily in uh, technology. And um, like Jake said, you know, we consider ourselves to be kind of at the cutting edge of uh, the applications of technology in, in fruit production. So much so that we've set up uh, a uh, subdivision called BX and BX is is our technology division. I actually work in BX. I kind of have a dual role. So within in BX, we're, we're looking at kind of the ways that we can incentivize growers to adopt regenerative practices to uh, increase soil carbon and also other ecos- provide other ecosystem services. And at BX, we're trying to measure that and quantify it so that farmers can get paid for that. Um, and, and Barsley Farms is kind of our laboratory environment where we have, as I say, 800 hectares of farms where we can put these technologies and practices to the test. And um, we, we we employ lots of different types of technology to help us to do that. And my background, actually, I, I'm, I'm not traditionally from agriculture. I spent about the first 20 years of my career working in financial services, helping to run big um, data networks that support financial transactions across the globe. But then in 2015, I decided I wanted to get a bit closer to nature and I went and studied for a master's degree in viticulture at Plumpton College. And since then, I've been kind of involved in managing a number of vineyards and working for viticultural consultancies before I came across kind of my my dream role really at uh, Bardsley and BX. Oh, that's brilliant. Well, thank you very much, Adam, for that introduction. And I'm sure you've found a number of transferable skills from your many roles. And and embracing technology is indeed the theme uh, of this podcast. Claire, if I can just uh, come back to you, and, and your role is very much about working with farmers, working with the industry to try and improve the uptake and make sure that the technology works on, on, on farms as well. But, but what are the barriers out there? Do you think there are issues and challenges that you at AgriEcpi need to overcome to try and um, increase the use of agri-tech? I think where um, I'm coming across along at the moment is is we have to focus on that added value. So if, if it's going to work and it's going to be taken up by industry, not just farmers, but all the way through the supply chain, we've got to identify that added value. It's not just about what the tech does in isolation. It's how it connects to um, the whole system that farmers are trying to put into place. 
And that's really what I'm trying to come in and focus on is how do we make sure it's not just about the technology, it's about what added value technology brings um, to agriculture as a whole, not necessarily always just as individuals, but it has to pay back for the individual as well. So that's what, what we're trying to focus on at the moment. And tell us a bit more about how that actually comes together. Is it um, through the collection of data and the sharing of data along the supply chain? Can that uh, release more value in some form and potentially um, achieve greater prices for commodity producers if that if that data is shared? And and I guess data goes and the data flows upwards and downwards across the, uh, along the chain. It's it's a two way process. Absolutely. I mean, I, I like how you just said that. Um, it's absolutely about that. I mean, I've looked a lot of like, these kind of strategic partnerships, and that's transparency of data sharing or information sharing, or even just as simple as experience sharing between the supply chain to find where we can add value to products. And, and I mean, the two key areas where we concentrate on in AgriEpi is production efficiency and also our um, targets in reducing environmental impact. So that that added value doesn't necessarily to be, need to be one or uh, it needs to be one or both of those key aims. And then what tools can we provide to make that happen? And then that, that's when it gets really exciting is what, what tools and what businesses can we bring in? Um, and, and, you know, both Jake and Adam are doing some really exciting things and, and we can find companies who are not necessarily already involved in agriculture, but we certainly do bring people with expertise from the agriculture industry and developing products. But we're looking at robotics, automation, satellites, drone technology, but data and that free flow of data but with a value on it as well to to add back to to the primary producer is key for me. Uh, and and Jake, we heard Claire mention there that you're doing some exciting work uh, as a satellite farmer, and I'm sure there's there's numerous examples of, of various pieces of technology that you're using on farm. Share some some of those with us, and and how have they helped you to either improve your productivity or or, or improve and enhance the environment? Yeah, I mean, Claire, Claire's exactly right. There's um, there's an awful lot going on here. I think one of the one of the barriers that that farmers might just um, see, just while I'm thinking about it, is in terms of um, kind of manufacturer specific bits of agritech kit uh, that aren't transferable from from machine to machine or tractor to machine. I think that's that's a real challenge. As an industry, we got that sorted a little bit with Isobus. Um, but but actually, um, you know, to move forward, we need a lot more collaboration across the industry and the manufacturers. I think that would that would certainly help um, and remove one of those barriers to, to more farms and more businesses getting involved in agritech. We're we've been involved for, for a long time. Two thousand and six was the first um, sort of bit of I suppose agritech really that we that we really got involved in, and that was um, variable rate. Um, phosphorus and potassium applications to our field using satellite GPS positioning. Um, and, and we've sort of been involved since then, really, then sort of moving on to satellite imagery for nitrogen applications, um, soil scanning for uh, moisture content and um, sort of establishment percentages. And I think in terms of payback, that's a really exciting and, um, you know, pretty much a no-brainer uh, operation to, to be involved in, in, in sort of broad acre cereals. Uh, then we started putting steering kit on tractors um, and, you know, those things are all are all standard now. And, you know, in, in terms of initial cost savings, trying to reduce pass, passes, reducing fuel 
reducing labour costs of um, not over or underlapping um, in cultivations or drilling, rolling, spraying, combining uh, are really easy ones just to get uh, get ticked off. But I suppose one of the things that we're really keen on at the moment is trying to, um, or, or this year, really focusing on nitrogen use efficiency um, uh, for many reasons. No more than um, you know the cost of nitrogen. It's an expensive product to apply, but it also accounts for just over 50% of our whole carbon footprint here on the farm. Um, and as an industry, we're probably only using it somewhere between 55 and 65 at best, maybe 70% efficiency. So, you know, I would hate to stand at a cash machine, take £100 out and drop 30 or £40 of it straight on the floor and we'll walk off with the rest. And none of, none of us really want to do that, but, but we do that with nitrogen. Um, so that has a financial implication, but it also has a huge environmental implication as well from water quality, uh, carbon that Adam was talking about earlier on, soil carbon is depleted when we're, when we're applying large rates of nitrogen. So, we're using satellite imagery. We're using handheld sort of chlorophyll measures uh, in crop in season so that we can actually take readings twice a week to have a look at the nitrogen content. And, and then we're applying our fertilizer based on sort of a whole series of different calculations, which, you know, it's really interesting as a grower um, to to be to be involved in this, knowing that you know, we're getting a benefit to our pockets uh, and the financial performance, but also a wider environmental one. And and that's all well and good until we get sort of a, a month of no rain. So whether you want to put any on or not, um, <laughs> you're sort of limited by uh, sort of environmental features out, outside of our control. But, you know, that that's farming. Um, and we have to learn to, uh, to adapt our system um, going further forward. So, yeah, I think that the nitrogen use efficiency and uh, trying to get more crop growth information are, are two of the real key ones that, that we're focusing on at the moment. And that's a really good example of a, of a win-win situation whereby you can save on input costs uh, and then you know it adds to the profitability of the business, but you're also doing something which is good for the, for the carbon footprint of the farm and, and you're limiting any potential of, of agricultural pollution by, by re- reducing the amount of nitrogen you apply on land and particularly around water quality um, discussions which are taking place throughout the UK at, at the moment. Uh, interesting, Jake, I know there's a number of different enterprises that you do um, are, are on on the on the farm there and including the the arable um, enterprise have you noticed is there a a difference in the availability of, of agri-tech and the uptake of it between sectors within farming would you say there's the, the arable sector is more advanced than perhaps possibly the livestock sectors are I think, yeah, I think there's probably three sort of distinct layers in a funny kind of way. You've got your very high value veg cropping um, farms who are, you know, looking at sort of robotic weeding and hoeing where a lot of labor is involved. Uh, and I think that's fantastic in terms of, of those crops. Um, and then arable farms, you know, looking at sort of robotics, which are definitely coming along the line in terms of, you know, weeding, field management. Um, but Broadacre... Uh, sort of GPS steering equipment is is very very common, I think, on farms now. Um, you know, operator ease and comfort all day sitting in a in a tractor. If you don't have to steer it, then you know that's uh, that's got to be an advantage. But then you also look at the livestock enterprises as well, and you've got very intensive um, sort of indoor pigs and poultry who are using a huge amount of agritech to sort of control environments, dairies with pedometers on cows and boluses to measure temperature and. Uh, sort of hormone levels um, 
and then you've got sort of livestock or you know sheep and beef farmers that um you know are probably a little bit behind the uh the curve at the moment in terms of using agritech to try and help some of their solutions but th- there's some really interesting things around i was having a flick on twitter the other day and um there was sort of some uh, electric free fencing um that somebody was exploring with um with beef cattle and i, I think things like that uh, are going to be really really exciting in the future and I think it's right, isn't it? That there's a there's a lot more interest around agritech across all sectors, and even using social media and following people on Twitter, it exposes to more and more farmers to to more new pieces of technology potentially, and 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 uh, it, and it's good for other farmers to share their experiences of of using various pieces of equipment. Uh, Adam, if I can turn to you, tell us a, a bit about some of the agritech that you've been using, and and, and what's really made it made a difference with with you and and. Uh, uh, and your farm yeah sure so so we got already have lots of uh, really exciting technology that's kind of rolled out in in the top fruit farms a lot of it is uh, kind of around monitoring we have a lot of iot sensors so we've got some of our orchards are absolutely packed out with kind of uh, climate sensors uh, measuring temperature and relative humidity wind speed rainfall all of those kind of normal things uh, but we have them at quite high densities um, one of our orchards is like every two hectares we have a temperature sensor and we'll be kind of really digging into that data and trying to work out like disease pressure models and things like that um, and kind of frost impacts, those kinds of things. Um, we're also looking at things that measure tree response to those climate variables. So we have things like uh, trunk dendrometers, which are basically a, a a little piston that's pressed up against the trunk of a tree and it goes in and out as the tree expands and contracts throughout the day and so we can see kind of the uh, the actual process of respiration happening in that tree and from that we can tell when it's stressed um, when it needs more or less irrigation and typically we find it actually needs less irrigation than we thought so the, these sensors actually save us money on irrigation because the usual method is to say, well, it's, it's hot, so we'll, we'll add water to the tree. But actually now we can see whether the tree is stressed or not. And, and some of the times it isn't stressed when we thought it would be. And then we've got a whole host of other kind of uh, experimental sensors that we're trialing, ones that measure stuff like uh, photosynthetic efficiency. Um, and we look at sap flow, um, a whole range of things, really. Um, but but for, for my mind, kind of where I'm coming at is uh, we, we, we kind of I view the orchard as a, as a system with like a whole multitude of inputs and outputs. And there's no point in measuring these things in isolation. I think kind of in agriculture, there's a bit of a history of like popping a weather station in and then kind of every now and then going, oh, yeah, it was it was a bit it was a bit cold in February, wasn't it? Yeah. And then, you know, but until you're actually measuring, you know, you have really good records on yield and you can see that. Uh, crop stress reaction in real time and then when you start to bring all of these things together that's when it's really powerful so we're trying to build what we call digital twins of the orchards so we get all of the data that we can from as many sources as we can and we bring it all into one place and we've invested in data scientists and we'll be using techniques like machine learning to really kind of bring all of the, the insights to life and out of those data sets 
And you, earlier you mentioned um, the uses you have for sensors. And uh, I know some farms myself that, that have embraced IoT, Internet of Things, and, and are using sensors in various uh, elements, whether it's on field gates or whether it's on, on monitoring moisture within soils, for, for example. And the cost of those sensors have come down quite a bit, haven't they, in recent times? And they're very, very cost-effective means of, of measuring things. And it's almost limitless, um, its application. It's, always, it's really exciting to think that these sensors could be used for almost anything. And and, and it doesn't require huge investment on, on, on the part of the farmer. Yeah, that's true. I mean, um, and I think even more so when you get beyond kind of IoT and you start moving into satellite technology and then you, you kind of the cost comes down even more. And the frequency of your measurements gets even higher. But I think things that really excite me at the moment are kind of mounting sensors on machinery that's already passing through the orchards. So uh, we're, we're hoping to trial electric tractors um, this season. In fact, we are going to trial some electric tra- tractors this season. And um, and they're going to be packed out with all sorts of cameras and sensors on them. And they'll just be every day trundling around the orchards, just capturing data. Um, and, and that's kind of... Uh, really exciting for me because IoT is great and it will give you a, a measurement at a point, um, a point in in space. But when you've got sensors that are on tractors, you can cover a whole orchard and you can get those data um, inputs repeated like every day. Um, and also drones as well. So you know we, we, we'll have uh, we'll have drones flying around, um, taking measurements, and we're, we're recording like the biomass of trees. Um, and then that will give us a really good indication of how much carbon is being sequestered in our orchards. And another really exciting one that I'm, I'm particularly excited about this, this season is we've got a handheld soil monitoring device. So we're going to be um, initiating a program of high frequency soil monitoring. So we'll be testing certain key orchards multiple times um, uh, or every two weeks. And we will be able to track the change in soil carbon over the course of seasons and in between seasons as we change the management practices in those orchards. So that's going to be kind of game changing for us, I think, being able to have that view on what is actually going on in in the soil. Because the lab soil analysis, while it's fantastic, is expensive and only really gives you a snapshot. You maybe only afford to do it once a year where we'll be doing it every two weeks. And that's really some powerful stuff once you, once you start collecting uh, that data over, over a period of time. Jake, I know you wanted to come in on that point. Yes, Ali, thank, thank you for that. Uh, Adam, you need to um, point me in the direction of where I can get my hands on one of those soil meters because um, I think that is going to be a, a really interesting conversation that, uh, that UK agriculture is going to be having with the rest of the world and our customers in the next, you know, well, the next six months to the next 10, 15, 20 years. And, and it's a really exciting place to be in. Um, I just wanted to mention as well that uh, you, you made a, such a valid point about data and capturing it, but then actually having it in one place that you can make decisions on. Um, so much data is being captured in individual programs, uh, in, in isolation, and um, you know we're working with a with a company to to bring something to the market in the next few weeks um, about how we can actually put that on one platform that can use machine learning um, and use all the data collection points that we're already already recording, but actually put it into a much more uh, user friendly interface um, that can be shared around between farm staff and advisors and everybody else. So. 
that data is key. It needs to needs to be um, easy to capture, easy to kind of um, you know understand, and then also be shareable as well. Adam, how valuable would that something like that be for you, having one central location to to store all that data? Uh, yeah, I mean that's massive, and and it's what we're actually developing. When I talk about digital twins, I mean that's what it is. I mean whether we have uh, kind of a, an interface kind of like Jake's looking at for the farmers to manage that through or whether it is purely for analytics you know there's there's slightly two sides of the same coin there and having that information viewable to farmers is is brilliant so Jake yeah I'd love love to see what you're doing there Jake and uh, I'll I'll give you a look at my soil sampler if you give us a look at your software (laughs) there's a deal to be done there I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. MintMobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. The Country Land and Business Association have been safeguarding the interests of landowners and rural businesses since 1907. We lobby government continually on behalf of our members to give them the security and certainty to invest in their land and business. Our in-house professional advisory team offers members independent and impartial advice on every aspect of land ownership and rural business management to ensure the positive development of the rural economy. I'm sure you've enjoyed listening to that conversation between uh, Jake and Adam. And this is really good stuff. I'm sure you're really proud of them as satellite farmers and and what their appetite, their hunger for learning, their their drive for using more technology is really refreshing to hear. Yeah, no, it's wonderful. I mean, that's what makes the, the job so enjoyable, getting to work with people who are enthusiastic and willing to kind of embrace the future um I, I love everything they're talking about but it's you know it's about building that connected system and and seeing it the whole way through and and finding out where we can adopt it best um yeah i i, I kind of was thinking about how like we we talk a lot top down and we've got these huge challenges that seem to take you know it, it could be overwhelming about the environment or productivity productivity and efficiency but actually it's it's about finding that um how do we pull that together? And it's the challenges on a daily basis that it's not about always that big picture will, will come to us. But actually, if we look at how can you make that day job easier, you know, Jake talking about nutrition and, and nitrogen, those are the important things in agriculture. And we mustn't forget that, that it's about the day job and how do you get on with things 
to achieve those big goals as opposed to kind of being like, oh, we've got these huge targets and we're going to have to revolutionize agriculture. Agriculture is going to be revolutionized, but it's about going out every day and making changes. Adam, did you want to come back on that point? Yeah, I was, just, I was just kind of reflecting on what Jake said earlier about getting all of the data into one place. And it's kind of a bugbear of mine of kind of observing um, ag tech for a while now is that you get all of these great solutions and on their own, they're great, but they'd be so much more powerful if you could leverage the information that they provide against other providers. And I, I find that ag techs kind of can be a little bit kind of siloed and myopic maybe in that they, they kind of they solve one thing but often that for a farmer it's, it's expensive to implement so they need they need the power of having that allied to other data sources as well so we need a more holistic view I think with uh, with, with ag tech and I think that's what Jake was getting at and also what we're trying to develop at, at BX and Bardsley and, and for me I mean I'm so lucky to, to work where I am because I work in essentially well we, 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 i think we consider ourselves climate tech rather more than ag tech but we're in that area and we have we, we have access to barsley farms which is just a, an amazing laboratory for us to test all of these things and we get that feedback instantaneously from our customer if you like which is barsley farms and we, we speak to the farmers every day and they, they kind of help us to shape and direct the solutions that we provide claire over to you we also haven't discussed the kind of side of how valuable that data can be for the research side. So that's something that we're uh, using the satellite farms as a platform to be able to collect that data. You know, Jake and Adam have both talked about how everybody's building these systems to collect the data. But if we can actually transfer some of that over to research organisations and institutes, I think we'll see, you know, some pretty smart answers coming up to some of the challenges that we've got if we can get that information and real information rather than just kind of trials data and tryouts you've got real-time information going back to people that can start solving these problems uh, from a different angle so I think there's you know that there's so many different uses to this information and um, not just directly within that supply chain and we can help with that too. And I guess it's always good to encourage farmers to get involved in the research and innovation process, but by driving, getting them to, to, to share information and give feedback, as you said there, but but offer to try and come up with solutions that it's not a, a top-down uh, agri-academia trying to offer solutions. It needs to be done in conjunction with those on the ground. Yeah, definitely. And I, and I think if you talk to any researcher, you know, they're, they're keen for those conversations. It's just getting in there and having them, isn't it? Yeah. And Jake, you touched on, on something really, really important earlier around um, the the central store for, for data, which you're developing. And, and that's so fundamentally important. And, and the value is really unlocked when you start making intelligent business decisions based on that data. That's really when you can be very savvy as a business because you, you can predict demands in terms of you know your, your feed requirements if you're running a livestock farm versus what you're, what you're capable of growing at certain times a year. Those those decisions you can make on, on, on really good value, valuable data is so powerful. It, it is powerful. And it's also how you can sort of fine tune, um, fine tune, you know, input costs, if you like, as you're going through the season to have sort of historic records, um, you know, actual records of, of things that are happening now in the ground in, in terms of, you know, disease, the, the weather impact from previous years. Um, it, it all helps just to, to do that fine tuning, as you say, for for improved crop performance and reduced, um, you know, Im impact on the wider environment, which is what we're, we're being challenged to do, and, and rightly so. And clearly, now is a 
is a period of change for farming all across the UK. New new policies and new subsidy um, support schemes will will be introduced uh, post Brexit, and there will be an an encouragement, no doubt, from from governments to to for farmers to embrace technology. What what type of support, Jake, do you think would would be valuable to you in your business? Uh, there has been mention of this uh, farm investment fund. What would you find useful there? That, that's a really good question. Um, we, we've invested in a lot of this equipment um, sort of at, at the head of the innovation curve, I suppose, uh, on the basis that we've justified it for our own our own business performance. Um, and sometimes that, you know, that sort of makes me feel a little bit galled that, you know, people are getting 40% funding for, you know, direct drills and we went out and, you know, bought one on our own our own back. Um, but having said that, we can't expect everybody to be doing the sort of the, the innovation part. Um, and, and we need we need pioneers to, to push the industry forward. And it doesn't always work, but you, you have to be there at the front. So um, I think sort of capital reinvestment is, is a good place to start. Uh, I think the schemes need to be um, a little bit more flexible in terms of uh, some of the some of the schemes you need to have x number of quotes all for the sort of the, the same machine which you know is a, is a bit a bit frustrating as a as somebody that's looked into this in the past i i think we need a lot more collaboration across um meat production and crop production systems in terms of um sort of supply chain interface so using using blockchain to try and improve trust um and reduce uh, or sort of increase the efficiencies in the in the, in the whole supply chain. We grow a lot of malting barley for um, Molson Coors. We, we've been in their growers group since 2008. It's a fantastic um, group of, of suppliers, farmers, producing about a third of the, the malting barley that they use. All of their malting barley is 100% British. Um, and we have regular contact with um, the distribution chain, the, the brewers themselves, um, and it's a really good relationship. It's taken a long time to build it, but this is this is where we need to be going forward um, in terms of supplying British produce uh, into uh, into British businesses um, or businesses operating in the UK, should I say? Um, so yeah, so there's, there's lots of examples, but I, th- I think sort of collaboration amongst farms. Uh, you know, it would be another really good opportunity. Um, you know, we're not really skilled at that. We're not really great at collaboration, particularly. Um, and I can see that being a really good opportunity. More opportunity in the environment as well. Sort of farm cluster groups, facilitation funds. We've, we're, we're a member of those as well. Um, delivering much more environmental benefit on over a wider sort of geographical area. And, and I think that could be a, a nice little hub of um, sort of, knowledge and data transfer information sharing building skills um in terms of you know more environmental work uh, pruning orchards things like that um so yeah there's 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 lots to go at we we, we do have a, a big job ahead of us and claire did you want to come in on that point what jake said there is about skills i mean we're talking about technology but the skills we're going to need on farm are going to be very diff- different um a lot of the automation is about reducing labor but that doesn't mean that we will we won't still need people on farm and and being able to use that use that information and make those management decisions on farm is going to be critical and and that's the only way that we're going to be able to get 
um, this technology on farm if people can actually use it. So um, I would echo that point um, that it's just it is critical that people can use the technology. It's not just about getting it out there. It's getting it used properly. Uh, and that's such a fundamental point, isn't it, around the skill sets and, and potentially the farmers of the future, Adam, that they might need a different mix of skills. They might need that ability to understand and interpret data in ways in which previous generations didn't need to have those skills. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I'm, I'm kind of nodding away furiously at what Jake's saying and what Claire's saying. Um, firstly, about collaboration between farms. More of that, please. Um, I, I think that kind of is, is always improving and things like the uh, AgriEpi satellite farms is, is a great initiative to, to in, in, encourage that. Um, skills as well, I think, requires collaboration between industries. So we're really lucky at BX. We have people who come from, we have uh, trained musicians, we have trained architects, we've got data scientists, we've got people from finance, you know, all of these backgrounds. This, this digitization kind of evolution that's happening in agriculture has happened in so many industries already um, in financial services where I came from. It was kind of happened in the, the 90s and, and the noughties. Um, and so we we need we really need to tap into those skills of where this has happened before and and as claire said kind of harness these new technologies that that are around kind of data scientists and computer engineers are, are going to be required more and more um as kind of agriculture goes through this evolution and, and jake what's your thoughts on that do you think we can learn off uh, the work and developments within different industries Oh, 100%, Alan, 100%. I was lucky enough to do a Nuffield scholarship in 2013. And one of the um, one of the main thought processes in that whole procedure is to take yourself out of your comfort zone and go and visit non-agricultural businesses so that you can learn from people outside of our industry um, to, to use that knowledge and that different way of looking at things to try and... Um, to try and improve what you're doing and, and find solutions. So, um, yeah, I couldn't agree more with Adam in in terms of there are so many skills out there that are available. Uh, we we just don't always know where to where to pick up on them. I think that's um, you know that that's part of it. We're, we're also flat out pretty much all year round it seems, um, and having that time to be able to step back and have a bit more of a strategic look at uh what is around us in in neighboring um neighboring businesses and things i I think is is would be a a real positive uh, mind change i I think some of that will come along in a funny kind of way by default if we end up being in a situation where we're able to trade carbon and biodiversity um and and i think if we could do that on a local level um that's going to have a lot more engagement between farmers and customers who are who are close to us and actually some of those skills i think will will end up rubbing off um as, as a sort of a two-way learning thing really we, we can offer uh education days and experience days here on the farm um for you know it companies down the road um, or insurance or solicitors or whomever and actually in the whole process of that of that uh, relationship building those skills i think will kind of uh morph across and, and be much more available to farmers. So, um, it, yeah, it's, it's, uh, it's something we definitely need to try and improve on. 
And it's an exciting time. And I think it opens up the opportunity to attract new talent into agriculture. We'll need people with different skills, different backgrounds, new ideas. And isn't it a wonderful way of getting new blood in, into British farming? Yes, I, I couldn't agree more. Um, you know, it, it is exciting. It's There are skills that, that we don't have in our, in our industry necessarily. Um you know, even things if the tractor goes down, you know, a, a sort of a it's not even a laptop that appears any, anymore. It's sort of a remote, a remote download to find out what what the problem is. Those sorts of things you know, that would have been unheard of, you know, 15 years ago. So we're, we're moving rapidly. And if you then, you know, go forward five years, we've got a lot more robotics um, on the on the farm, you know, picking fruit, uh, weeding potentially seeding, uh, those all come with a whole new skill set that we'll have to uh, learn and, and develop. So um, great opportunity for people. Absolutely. Well, well, as we draw this uh, podcast to a close, there is one final question I want to ask of, of each of you, and we'll have a number of CLA members listening in to this podcast, and they might be interested to try and advance uh, their farming methods with the use of technology. What's your, 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 your advice to them? Starting with you, Claire, what would you uh, want to, to, to um, what's, what's your top tips that you'd like to share? What encouragement would you like to give CLA members listening to this podcast and how they can embrace more technology? on their businesses and in their farms? I think for me, it's a conversation. And I suppose um, we've, we've mentioned Nuffield, it's asking the questions, isn't it? And that's just a starting point. And, and you know, even, you know, simple things like social media, you know, we're all using it and it's it's starting up those ideas. I mean, what I'm really excited about is um, we've all been stuck in our cocoons for the last however many months at home and on the farm. And I'm really, really looking forward to find out what everybody's been thinking about, you know, because it's not relied on everybody kind of meeting regularly and talking to each other at events or um, uh, or however, um, meeting together. And actually, people are thinking about ideas and technology in a different way. And I'm, I'm really looking forward to find out what ideas are coming from different parts of the country and different areas of the industry. And and then those conversations that, that are going to happen by uh, because of that and challenge the way that we've been doing things so it's about conversation I mean keeping in touch uh, with uh, with AgriEpi and what's going on but there's so many great organizations out there uh, all doing different things and tech is is booming right now so um, keep an eye but get involved is my big thing just get involved and, and make sure it is farmer led because that's the important bit. Absolutely couldn't agree more uh, Adam what are your final thoughts? Yeah, I just echo what Claire says. Really, conversation is really important. The more the more we talk about these things, the more kind of real they become, and the, the more acceptable they are. Um, I'd say to farmers, you know, don't don't see technology as a as a as a problem, as something you have to adopt, and it's an annoyance. You know, it really can solve your problems. You have to make your your voice heard, though. You have to kind of get out there and and talk about the problems that you need to be solved. Don't don't leave it down to technologists to come and tell you how to run your farms. Go out and find people that can solve your problems. Um, and I'd say AgriEpi Centre, other ag tech centres do, uh, do do apply, I should say. Um, yeah. Uh, but yeah, Ag- AgriEpi and all the ag tech centres are great places to do that, to get these conversations going. Um, and, and talk to other farmers as well, as Jake said. You know, Every time I go and talk to our farm managers on farm, I learned something new and I learned something about the problems that they face and the way that technologies can help. And every time I go and speak to a farmer on a different farm, they have a slightly different perspective 
you know, I find farmers amongst the kind of most innovative and resourceful people that, that I've met that, you know, they're always solving problems. So, you know, if you, if you speak to other farmers, they're, they're, there's a good chance that they've already solved the problem that you're faced with. Yeah, no, they are practical people and, and practical problem solvers. So, so innovation is part of the farmer's DNA. Uh, Jake, what's your final thoughts? Um, re- really just an echo of Adam and, and Claire, really. I think definitely conversation. Um, people and farmers are really willing to share what they do. And I think that's a, a really positive thing about our industry. Um, so the information is is very often out there and, and a farmer will already have gone through the same, you know, potential thought process or have had the same problem that they wish to try and fix um, themselves. So so start that conversation. So do, social media is a great place to, to look at that. Um, obviously, agri-EPI centres, very, very important uh, as centres of excellence, but lots of other agri, agri-tech um you know, startups and, and companies are out there always willing to share and, and just to get involved with it, really. Yeah, I c- couldn't agree more. And uh, I've spoken to, to a number of farmers over recent years who've started to use more technology, started to, to measure things, whether it's measuring grass growth or grass yields. And I've spoken to a number who told me they've almost become addicted to, to the data uh, that they're capturing and, and uh, they've really embraced and, and um, they've thrown themselves into into data analysis and really seeing the benefits. And once you can get to measure something, you can set, set targets and see the improvements and measure the success that, that you're achieving in many different ways, be it financial or be it in, in, in wider sustainability terms as well. Well, thank you ever so much to all our guests. It's been a fascinating 40 minutes or so talking about agri-tech. We're just, just scra- scraping the surface, aren't we? Scratching the surface. There's so much more uh, that we haven't touched upon. There's a lot more, no doubt, that will come on board here over the next next few years and this is is an exciting space to be and and British agriculture is going through an exciting transition period well Claire Jake and Adam thank you to each and every one of you it's been brilliant having you on the podcast so Claire thank you very much thanks Ed thanks for having me Jake thank you too lovely thanks very much for having me Ali fantastic uh, session and Adam finally thanks to you as well yeah cheers Ali really really enjoyed speaking to you and uh, great to meet you Jake and uh, speak to you soon Claire Thank you all. And that concludes the podcast. And thank you to all our listeners. Uh, This is all for now, but uh, join us again for another episode of CLA Rural Business Uncovered. If you're not a member of the CLA, you can join today. More information can be found on our website, www.cla.org.uk. Thank you for listening, and I hope you can join us again soon. You've been listening to the Rural Business Uncovered podcast, the CLA's weekly podcast released every Friday. You can find all our episodes wherever you get your podcasts or just search Rural Business Uncovered on your chosen podcast provider. Remember to hit subscribe or follow to make sure you don't miss an episode. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.